You know, it's interesting how we have this missions department in the church, right? And we send off a couple of missionaries here and there. The early church, it didn't seem like they had a missions department because their whole church was a missions department. And it seems like when you read about the early church, they, everyone that came to, to their meetings, when they got together, they all understood that this was our purpose in life. Everyone that comes in these doors and calls himself a part of Cornerstone Church should see themselves as a part of a mission. That's God's desire. And the purpose of our lives is not just to support missionaries, but to be missionaries. And everywhere we go, the point of our existence is to tell people about Jesus. I mean, otherwise, why do we exist? Why, why are we here on this earth? I mean, do, do you have a purpose? I mean, how often do you wake up, honestly, how often do you wake up in the morning with the thought that you're on a mission here on the earth? You know, I, I relate it to, it's, it's just like when my wife and I go to the mall, we have two totally different mindsets. Okay, I'm on a mission, right? I want to get whatever we need to get and get out of there. Her mindset is, I just want to walk around, wander aimlessly, you know, and just enjoy myself and wander as long as I can, you know, and, 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 you know, and that's fine in the mall, but in life, I feel like a lot of people take on that mentality. There are those who say, you know, I'm just on this planet for a little while, I've got some things to do. God's given me a mission, given me a calling, so I'm going to do those things and I'm out of here. Then others go, you know, I just want to wander aimlessly on the earth. And just see what happens. See if I can just wander as long as I can. And I'm saying, man, how often do you wake up realizing there's something for me to do here on this earth? I'm here on a mission. I'm here with a purpose. I, I, I heard this quote last week um, by Tony Campolo, who's a well-known speaker. And he says this, Most of us live life as though we were trying to arrive at death as safely as possible. A great quote. Most of us live life as though we were trying to arrive at death as safely as possible. I, I just love that because, you know what, people would say, you know, people would go to Tim and Courtney and go, oh man, are you sure you want to do this? You don't know what those people will do to you once you get there. No one knows about this tribe. You, you could die there. Oh, and you're not going to die? You guys think about it. We're all going to die. The question is, is, what are you going to do with your life while you're here? You just try to arrive at death as safely as possible or actually accomplish your mission here on the earth? I, I got a, a, this quote from, from a movie I saw this week. It says this, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. While it's true that the brave won't live forever, the cautious never live. You know what movie that's from? It's not Gladiator. It's uh, The Princess Diaries. <laughs> I got three girls at home. So we watch these. Isn't that funny? That's from The Princess Diaries. Anyways, I'm sitting there going, wow, that was good. And I kept rewinding. My wife's like, what are you doing? You're learning courage from a princess? You know... But I, I love that quote. I can't wait for my boy to come. Um, <laughs> courage, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. 
You know, and while it's true that the brave won't live forever, the cautious never live. And, and I just think, man, how many people really live on this earth and really live? You know, it's not that they're not scared to go and reach these people. It's just saying that there's something greater than that fear. There's this mission that I've been called to. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. You know, again, it's, it's, it's the climax of everything. Jesus is risen from the grave and he tells his followers now, okay, I'm sending you on a mission. You're going in the world to tell these people. And let me just say this before I start. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that all of us need to go overseas. But what I am saying is that if you don't live your life with a sense of mission, then there's really no point in you being alive. You understand that? I mean, I mean, why, why, why live on the earth then? To take up space, just kind of do your own thing? Say, so, well, I, I'm here to worship God. Well, then why don't you die and go in the presence of God and worship Him there? It's even, even better. You know, but we're on this earth to get these other people, like that video we saw and the song we sang. It's, it's because every tongue should be praising God. And there's people here, here, here that don't know Him. There's people at your workplace that, that aren't praising God and they don't have the joy of the Lord in their hearts. That's why we're here is to get it to them. It's this mission. And that's what Jesus is explaining here, His last words on earth. You know, we pick up the story. Remember last week, we, we talked about how the women went to the tomb and, and then they saw the angels and the angels say, he's risen. So they run to the disciples and say, hey, he's risen. The disciples don't believe him. They think it's nonsense. Peter goes running to the, to, to the tomb and he sees that the body of Jesus is gone. You know, but then there's those two guys. Remember those two guys are walking along the road, the two disciples, and they're talking about Jesus and then Jesus appears and starts talking to them. And they don't even know it's Jesus until he breaks bread and they have the Lord's Supper and they realize, that's Jesus. And then he disappears. So they go running back to the disciples and go, we saw him. Now, now those women, what they said, it was true. This really happened. We actually were with him. And then we pick up a story in verse 36. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Okay, Luke is trying to make it absolutely clear that this was not just one guy in his mind conjured up Jesus and thought he saw him. Okay, it's just account after account after account. And now as these two guys are in the midst of the disciples, they're going, no, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him. And the disciples are like, come on. The, the women said they saw angels this morning. These others, you know, say they saw this or that. And now you guys are saying that you were actually with him. And as they're doubting, Jesus appears right there and goes, peace be with you. Peace is probably the last thing they felt right then, right? You know, he just suddenly he appears before them and says, peace be with you. And it says in verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. 
Okay, so Jesus appears. Okay, it's one thing for the disciples to disbelieve. And, and when the ladies come back and say, we saw an angel, you know, they didn't believe it. Okay, and, and then it's another thing when a couple more come and say, we saw Jesus. They still don't believe it. But then Jesus appears right there, and they still go, we don't believe it. You're a ghost. And Jesus says, does a ghost have flesh and bones? Touch me. Okay, there's the scars on his hands. We still don't believe. You still don't believe that I'm not a ghost? He said, give me a piece of fish. He gives him a piece of fish. He eats a piece of fish. He goes, how many ghosts eat? You know? But, but I, I want to point something out as in their disbelief. Uh, look at verse uh, 41. It, look, look at what it says. I don't know if you ever noticed this. It says, and while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement. Isn't that interesting? They didn't believe it because of joy and amazement. That doesn't really seem to make sense at first, does it? You didn't believe because of joy, but haven't there been times in your life when it was hard for you to believe the gospel because it seems too good to be true. You know what I mean? I mean, if you believe in the gospel message, then you believe that God, sent, God loved you even though you did everything wrong and you're doing all these things that are offensive to Him. God in heaven looks at His creation, you know, doing these things that are offensive and then He sends His Son down on the earth and has His Son nailed to a cross and then Jesus on that cross pays for all of those crimes so that if I died right now, just because I believe in Jesus, I'd go straight into paradise. And I'm forgiven of everything. And then he rose from the grave showing me that he's alive and I can have a relationship with him right now. I mean, there's part of that where you just go, really? Wait, so you're telling me that I walk in this room, and some of you, maybe this is your first time ever in a church building, and you go, okay, wait a second, with everything I've done in my life, everything, as you sit down and think about all the times you've done things that are offensive to God, to, to really believe that in one moment in time, that today you could say, okay, I believe he died on the cross for me, and then suddenly you're forgiven of all of that? It's almost too good to be true. You do feel like it's too good to be true. There, there's got to be more to this story. Uh, there's got to be something I need to do. He can't just hand me this free gift. You know, come on, I've got to make up. You, you know some of the things I've done in life? And to think that I'm just forgiven of it all, and I die and go into heaven and enjoy his riches forever, it, it's hard to believe sometimes because it's that good. See, I really believe that that's what he's talking about here. The disciples are seeing Jesus and they just can't believe it because it's too good to be true. In the sense of, you know how we guard our hearts sometimes when we use that, that phrase, I don't want to get my hopes up. You know, you don't want to just believe in something that could be that good because you just go, no, this can't be, this can't be, I must be dreaming. That's what the disciples are going through right now. It's like out of their joy and their amazement, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. This is too good to be true. That means if, if you're standing here, this is really Jesus, and then everything you said was true, and I really can be forgiven. You really did die for my crimes, all of that, and I'm going to be with you forever. And they didn't believe. You know, i got to ask you, do you really believe this happened? Or t for you, is it just too good to be true? 
Okay, if, you, if you came with your mom or dad, or you know, brother, sister, wife, kids, husband, whoever you came with today, forget they're here. And I'm just asking you as an individual, this has nothing to do with the person next to you, you as an individual, do you believe in your heart? Do you really believe that Jesus was the Son of God and died on the cross for you and then rose from the grave? This is the most important question on this earth. You believe that? You really believe he rose from the grave? He literally rose from the grave, just like the scriptures say here. This is such an important question because if you believe this and you focus on it, it'll change the rest of your life. It really will. It'll change the amount of anxiety you have. It'll change, you know, the amount of power you have. It'll change everything if you really believe this and focus on it. It's kind of like this. I want to illustrate it. I was asking a fitness trainer today. I said, hey, what, what? an average male adult... An average male adult, how much can he curl with one arm? How much could he just lift up with one arm? He says the average male adult could lift about 25 pounds, 20 to 25 pounds. So I have a 25-pound weight here. And I, I picked someone before each service, but I didn't get around to doing it this service. Um, so Chris Perez, you're an average guy. Come on, Chris. Come on, buddy. Come on up here. This is Chris Perez. All right, Chris. You're the lucky guy. Come on. Or maybe I should use your wife, Julie. She's got a better chance. No, here's, here's Chris. No, Chris is a... I'll plug your company. O2 Cosmetics. He sells cosmetics. That's a tough guy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here's Chris Perez. And I want you to think, okay, because the average guy could curl 20 to 25 pounds with one arm. I want you to think in your mind, do you think Chris could do it? Okay, just, you don't have to say yes or no out loud. Let's not embarrass him. Let's, let's, let's think, could he do it? Now, before he does that, though, I, I don't want you touching that one. Here's a 50-pound here's a weight. Okay, come on. Just everything you got, just try to curl it one time. Okay, just use everything to get it up. Ready? Go. Yeah, there you go. Okay, perfect. You can sit down. All right. O2 Cosmetics. All right. Now, here's the thing. Now that you saw him curl 50 pounds with one arm, which I'm impressed. I was hoping you'd do it. Okay. I don't really need to ask you anymore. Hey, you think he can do 25? Right? Uh, that's not a question anymore. We just saw him do 50. See, here's the whole point. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you honestly believe you, you know, that he rose from the grave, then whatever issues you have in life, it's like the 25-pound weight. It is not a question, because we could look at Tim and Courtney and go, oh man, can you really go to a tribe and you know, learn their language and translate the whole... You know what? He rose from the dead. I already saw this over here, so why would I even question this? And, and honestly, most of the issues in, in, in my life, <laughs> this, this is what most issues in my life are. It's like, oh God, can you really fix my marriage though? 
you know, can you really help my kids? Can you really get me a job? Can you really do this? Can you help me get over my anger? You know, it's like, don't you see what he already did? You're going to sit and question whether he can lift this? You see, if we really believed in that, there'd be so much less anxiety in our lives. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, throw out all of your concerns because he cares for you. The reason why we can give him our anxieties is because he cares. And so, so you have this confidence, this promise that, that the one who rose from the grave, that all-powerful one, right now cares about you. See, I can sit here with such confidence and go, you know, he loves me. He loves me more than anyone else. He cares about me more than I care about myself. And so really, what do I need to worry about in life? You know, if he has the power to rise from the grave and then the Bible tells me that he loves me, then of course he's going to care for all of my issues. That doesn't mean that I'm going to get everything I want, but I have the assurance that there's this God who's looking out for my best. And when he doesn't give me what I want, then it's, it's because it's for my best anyways. And I go, wow, you know what? He cares about me. He rose from the grave. I believe that. So there's no fear. And the more we focus more we focus on that resurrection and what he did at that one time, the more we have confidence through all the issues in life. That's why it's so important when I ask you that question, do you really believe that you honestly know for yourself whether or not you believe? See, when he goes on and tells them about this mission that he sends them on, it's so important that they have the confidence that this was genuine. So in verse 44, he says to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then verse 45 says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, I like this section because he's sending them. He says, you experience it all, so I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out. He goes, but before you go, you need to wait in Jerusalem. Wait till I give you this gift. See, he doesn't just send them and say, okay, now go out in the world, tell everyone what happened. He goes, don't go yet. He goes, wait, because I'm going to give you power. And I love the phrase, wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. Love that phrase. Wait till you have been clothed with power from on high. Don't just go. You see, if the disciples had just left and tried to tell people about Jesus, they would have failed. But God says, you wait, because something supernatural is going to happen to you, and then when you speak, supernatural things will happen. You see, you see, we need this, because think about it, you guys. What God, what Jesus here has called us to do is impossible. Jesus wants you and I, when we leave here today, to walk out of these doors and tell people, to convince people that God became a man. He became a baby. And then grew up and was nailed to a cross and paid for all of your crimes. 
Then he was buried and then he rose again and ascended into heaven and, and you can have a relationship with him now. You're going to convince people of that? And that's why he says, you know what, wait, because I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you power. And you see this power in the very passage itself. Because remember when the disciples didn't believe? See, see, look at verse 45. It says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. you got to catch that. Verse 45. God opened their minds. He's talking about the disciples. He opened their minds. Suddenly God opened their minds and they understood. Because what was happening before that? They weren't believing, remember? You know, even the women come and go, hey, you know what, just like he said, he rose again. They're going, we don't believe it. Peter runs and, and sees the empty tomb. He still doesn't believe it. The two strangers come and, and say, hey, we saw Jesus. They still don't believe it. Jesus shows up. They still don't believe him. Jesus says, touch me. They touch him. They still don't believe him. Jesus, hand me a piece of fish and watch me eat it. He eats it. They still don't believe him. And then it says that God opened their minds so they could understand, and they go, oh, wait a second. I get it now. You see all the evidence. You think, man, you spent your whole life seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. You didn't believe, and then suddenly, even after seeing Christ, you still don't believe, and then boom. Suddenly it all makes sense to you that God did something supernatural and opened their minds so they understood the Scriptures. See, we all need that. Sometimes we put too much weight on saying, oh, I, I, I intellectually, you know, prove to this guy that, you know, that, that the resurrection... You know what? You can go on and on and on and on. But for someone to believe, it takes a supernatural act of God. And He's got to open their eyes. He's got to open their minds. And, and that's why we pray. That's why, you know, today we're not just going to send Tim and Courtney out and say, go, go. You know, you've got everything you need, man. You've got the Bible training. You've got language training. You learn how to take a spear and throw it at a pig. You know, you've got it all figured out. You're going to go. You're going to win this tribe. And it's like, no, no, no. Wait, wait, Tim, Courtney, don't go yet. Don't go yet. Wait till you've been clothed with power from on high. Wait till we as a church body have really prayed for you. So when you go out, you go out in power. That's why he's pleading, you know, you know, pleading with us, saying, you know what, don't leave us out there hanging. We need power from on high. We need your prayers. Go with us in prayer, because otherwise nothing's going to happen. You know, and, and that's exactly what the disciples do. It says in verse 50, when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And that's how we end the book of Luke, is the disciples go back to Jerusalem just like Jesus told them to, and they waited. And then if you read the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, he explains, after waiting for all this time, the Holy Spirit comes. They go out, preach for a few minutes, and 3,000 people come forward, give their lives to the Lord, and the church just goes off, just, just starts growing, growing, and multiplying. It's that power. See, and what God has called us to is to be a part of that same mission now, 2,000 years later. Are you going to be a part of it? Is that how you're going to spend your life Believing you're on a mission. I, I, I did two funerals this week. And uh, you know, I do funerals quite often. I, and I, to me, it's an honor. It's an honor to sit with a family and find out what someone's life was all about. 
In fact, this week I also visited a lady in our church who's dying of cancer and just has a little while to go. And, uh, and it was such a great experience because, you know, the whole time she's just, you know, at peace going, hey, you know, what I need to know is, are you going to be around? She goes, because I really want you to do my funeral. You know, and she just wanted to know my schedule for the next few weeks and months just be, you know, because she wanted me to do the funeral. And just talking about it and just at peace. And I go, oh, that's so awesome. Because it's not always that way. There, not, not everyone ends their life with peace. Many people leave with regret. Many people don't want to go. But I'll, I'll never forget when I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, one of my professors, Dr. Charles Smith, was dying of cancer. And he died while I was in seminary. And here is a man who spent his whole life teaching people about Jesus. And he had this friend, another one of my professors, George Zemeck, who, who they grew up together, you know, studied together, taught together, and they were just on this mission together, just changing the world, teaching people about Jesus. And I remember George came in after Charles' death, and he came into class, and, and he told us, he goes, you guys, I got to be with him during his last days during his last weeks, just right there at the bedside after living this whole life with him. And he says, and I looked at Chuck at one point and I said, hey Chuck, how do you feel right now? What are you feeling right now? And, and he says, he goes, Chuck looked up at me and said, he says, George, I feel like you and I have spent our whole lives building a rocket. And everything we've done has gone into building this rocket. Our whole lives was about building this rocket. And I'm about to climb in and take off. And he says, it's the greatest feeling in the world. See, because he says, this was my life's mission to serve God. And now it's just finally, my final act of worship on this earth is to take off and to come into his presence. And it's a great feeling because his life was a mission and that was the climax of it. Not everyone prays that. Not everyone feels that at the end of their lives. And I pray that you do. You know, I, I just want us as a church not to just attend services, but to really live our lives like, like this is a mission. There's a purpose for us here. Just for a short time here on the earth and then we take off and enjoy the work of our labor for all of eternity, that Tim and Courtney one day in heaven are going to enjoy the work of their labor, this whole tribe of people, they'll be in heaven with them. That's our prayer. That's the reward. I want to show you just like a 30-second video clip of something that the church is doing in a few weeks that I want you to be a part of to give you something practical. If you guys would show that. Welcome to... Rancho Refugio in Ensenada, Mexico. This ranch is the home of Azusa Pacific University in Ensenada, which houses thousands upon thousands of high school and college students throughout the year. But November 11th through 13th of this year, Cornerstone Community Church will make this their home.
About a year ago, Tim Hardy, our missions pastor, and I were just talking. We said, you know, we're supposed to have the whole church feel like we're on a mission. And we just started dreaming. We said, what, what if what if we actually got the whole church for a weekend to go down to Mexico on a Friday night, and then all day Saturday we built, you know, we helped the people of, of Mexico, you know, we painted, we did construction, we, we did, you know, little children's programs, we fed them, we clothed them, and we actually did something rather than just sitting in an air-conditioned room. Imagine if we served them all day what the worship would be like the next morning there in Mexico. What if we could just transplant everyone over there so that we'd go, you know what, this is what it is. This is what life is about. What if we could take families and parents could actually teach their kids this is what we're on the earth to do. Um, and so this is the culmination of that dream and it's going to take place this November and we need people to sign up by September 11th. And it only gives you a couple of weeks and the point of this is because we want you to get in these groups. We have 64 leaders already from the church. 64 leaders that are going to take you to these different work projects and we need to start dividing people up into these work projects so you're prepped and you know what you're going to do and we can tell the people down in Mexico exactly what we're going to be able to accomplish and the manpower we'll have. And so I really encourage you to, to consider that um, and mark it out on your calendars and sign up. There'll be a, uh, a place in the lobby. But I just think, man, what an awesome experience. What if we were in Mexico right now and you had the satisfaction of knowing that just yesterday, Saturday, you spent the whole day serving people and bringing glory to God in that way. What a different worship experience this would be right now, you know, sitting there in Mexico knowing that we served and did something that week. But before.